90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not like we've been on hiatus for our listeners for very long, but we ourselves have not talked in like three weeks, which is, I don't know, probably a record for the last 10 years. <laughs> it's been quite a while because, you know, I was, I was out of the country and then you were out at GSA, but we got pretty far ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now we're behind again, obviously. <laughs> I think now you mean we are just in time. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're recording this before Thursday night, man. I know. Look at us go. Mostly because it's fall break for my kids. And so we're going camping tomorrow through the weekend. But <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> I didn't tell you about that. I just wanted to lull you into a sense of, you know, getting it done this. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it's been a long time, and we've both been a lot of different places in that two weeks, and I can't wait to hear what you thought about Italy. Yeah. So I was in Italy and then the Netherlands. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, mm. I was crushingly sick the first week <laughs> I was gone. <laughs> so I got crushingly sick here too for like 10 days and it was terrible. I can't imagine if I were dealing with that, you know, while trying to work and also sightsee in a foreign country. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the advantage for me was I'd been to Italy before. So I wasn't so much for the sightseeing. Like I didn't, you know, my, mm -hmm. my wife was going during the day and seeing things while I was working. Great. And, uh, you know, I know some of the, the customers that are there listen, so hi, y'all. Uh, but <laughs> you know, kind of my ph philosophy at that point was I'm here, uh, you know, I can feel miserable laying in bed, or I can feel miserable and get the job done. Yep. And so that's what we did. Mm -hmm. um, but great people, uh, you know, great times. Uh, we made an unbelievable amount of progress. So there's oh, two uh, big rock deformation machines over there. Mm -hmm. And we have been working on the control systems for them. Kay. And so this was kind of our first time to actually make them move, make them do things. So I really just want to imagine it's just like a lever that you just pull and something falls down and crushes some rocks. <laughs> But I know it's more complicated. <laughs> a little more complicated than that, yeah. Um, but, you know, they'd put in an incredible amount of work to get the mechanical part of the machines together and then to hook up a lot of the equipment that we had sent. Wonderful. And so really my job was fix any issues, help troubleshoot, test a lot of software. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, did that for a week, spent the weekend. I was feeling some better by then. <laughs> uh, did a couple little sightseeing type things. You know, I went in the Coliseum. I had seen it from the outside, but had never been in. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, went in the Capuchin Crips, which was fascinating. Ooh, that's really cool. I've never been to Italy, actually. So this is all very interesting. Yeah, I mean... Artwork made out of the bones of 3,400 monks. 
Sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very interesting. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a that was a good chunk of the trip. Though, like I said, unfortunately, I wasn't quite as you know. In the evenings, I basically wanted to find <laughs> something to eat and sleep for twelve hours. Uh, uh, yeah, that's too bad. <clears throat> was the food good though? Uh, lots of pizza. <laughs> lots of pizza oh man yep and souple i hmm, i've been craving one since last time i was there <laughs> now i'm determined i'm going to try to make them oh goodness i don't think they're actually that hard to make but uh i'm ready to be proven wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> i mean yeah practice makes perfect Yep, so anyway, we did that, then uh, bounced on over to the Netherlands, which I really enjoyed the last time I was there, uh, enjoyed it this time as well. Awesome. Was and it cold there yet? Probably not too bad, huh? It was cool. It was light jacket weather. Gotcha. So perfect. And the evenings, medium jacket weather. Hmm. Uh, Awesome. So yeah, that was that was fun. Went and talked to some folks there about measuring tilt and geothermal settings. Okay. Super interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to figure out can we even instrument a well that's deviated forty five degrees? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because that's a unique set of challenges. Yeah, it sure is. Oh, that's a lot of trig too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh huh. Got to see they've built a new Earth Simulation Laboratories building at the University of Utrecht. Oh, that's cool. So it's like where Rock Mechanics is. I saw the largest stream table slash flume I've seen in my <gasps> life. Oh, man. Utrecht has uh, so many good toys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember this from last time thinking, like, there's a lot of meat and potatoes food in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. That's okay so, with me. Right up your alley, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing because when, you know, like we were looking some stuff up, like stuff to go do before the trip and all that, uh, this one person that was visiting and had done a video about it, they're like, well, you know, the Dutch food's not really anything special. And I was like, that's exactly why I like it. <laughs> Oh, uh, like, it's just like when my bitter best friend... ball in. Let's take some. Let's take some meat and make a, a ball out of it and fry it and dip oh it in mustard. Like, oh, you're speaking my language. Oh my gosh! You and my other best friend, who when she went to Africa, she just packed an entire suitcase full of Cheez Its. Yep. Because <laughs> she said, "I don't know what kind of foods there, but I know I'm super picky, so I'm gonna take these Cheez Its." <laughs> awesome. I did find that some places in the Netherlands, like, fancier food than I would normally, but more so in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I would expect. Being like, can I have this thing, but with no vegetables? And like, well, that's just noodles then. I'm like, sure. Yes. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, man. Okay, we'll give you the toddler plate. Sure. The American toddler plate. <laughs> Learned how to say no vegetables in Italian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, but like... no, it was it was fun. Um, <laughs> I, I was ready to come home because between not feeling well for the first chunk and knowing that you know there's two weeks of things happening here. Yeah. Um, I was ready to be back, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, I imagine so. October has been, yeah, a whirlwind of a month. Um, I'm going back to Colorado next week. I just got back from Colorado last week. <laughs> so, yeah. We're out of town a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, September for me basically didn't exist. Uh, October's becoming that way and sounds like the same for you uh-huh yeah um, absolutely um yeah it's been really busy but you know gsa in denver is always fun for me it's very much like old home week and so it was a fantastic conference i was there the entire time um just because of scheduling that happened and yeah it was very productive i feel like i haven't been to an in-person productive conference in a while. And so I got, I came back really jazzed um, and then promptly like fell asleep for three days. So, <laughs> Yeah. So GSA is a conference I've never been to. Um, wow. I really want to remedy that. We looked at having a booth this year and the timing just obviously didn't work. Right. Yeah. Um, the vendor what, fair was, see? Yeah. yeah, I mean the vendor fair was hopping. You would have been, outrageously pleased um, were you great. to have a booth there yeah <laughs> yeah exactly I will tell you that man it, any booth that was selling a t-shirt sold out of them so I know that yeah you've probably got some really funny t-shirt designs and you should do them <laughs> um, I gave away three stacks of our stickers for the podcast <laughs> so hopefully maybe someone out there Grab the sticker and is listening and is new this week. If so, welcome. Um, and so I talked a lot about that. It was really great. We got a lot of action just at our university booths, but we met some of our friends that we have had on the podcast before. The Here Shaps, um, they used to sort of invent field gear, right? She invented, Lauren Hirschap had invented the Brunton Axis, which is a sort of new way of using um, a Brunton compass. And they now own the company, Brunton. <laughs> and so they were there, and they had all this cool Brunton swag, and their booth was swarmed, like, every day. So cool swag is where it's at, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Um, so, like, that was just fun for the conference in general, which, I mean, is mostly what I had a lot of – I took a lot of researchy type meetings, and so I only had a few days where – I went to talks. Um, we had a Colorado River section session where a lot of the research that I've been helping with got presented. So um, I was co-author on a talk that was in there. And it, it was different for me. I felt like a grown-up at this meeting, which was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a grown-up for a while look, now, Shannon. Look, <laughs> I felt like a big girl this time because I had all these research meetings. So it was very, it was very different than other conferences, but also like you could just, the energy was so good because you could just tell people were so glad to be out and about, I guess. I don't know. It was still a hybrid conference, which I sort of wanted to discuss. I know we've discussed Zoom a lot on here, but also, you know, 
we started this podcast to talk a little bit about technology and I've come away with just some mixed feelings I need to talk through with my technological therapist. <laughs> okay, so how was the conference hybrid? Yeah, so you could attend virtually or in person, which meant that every session was set up. Essentially, you gave your talk through Zoom. So in the room, besides the little Zoom bar, because not everyone knew how to hide that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I'm sure that there was convener training on how to hide that. <laughs> um, so not everyone knew how to hide that. But anyone could attend via Zoom. And every talk was given like it was on Zoom. But it was a complete mix of Zoom and in-person talks that were being given. Interesting. It was interesting. And there was no indication in the program about that. GSA has this program app, which a lot of people complained about. And I actually found it to be exceedingly helpful. Um, I really liked digitally planning my day. Oh, you'll be so proud of me, too. I took all my notes digitally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I took my, I took my tablet and I had like the GSA app up and I would take snapshots of the talk that I was, that I was attending. And then I would import that into my notes app and then make annotations on it. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know how I'd love that. But what happened was one time I didn't have my, um, my tablet with me. It was at the booth and I went to this pickup meeting because sometimes that happens. <laughs> And so I just ran, I noticed the time and I ran into this meeting, but because I have a Samsung tablet and a Samsung phone, I just opened my notes app on my phone and did the same thing. I just annotated to that same exact notes mm -hmm. that I had already started. Amazing. I was very proud of myself. And you'll yeah. be able to find them and search them. And... They're already, like, put in my little work folder that I can now share to Microsoft OneNote. So it's actually on my work computer now. Just that folder, not the rest of my, like, you know, reference folders for how big my bedroom is so I can buy a piece of furniture. <laughs> right. Like, I could just sync that work folder. And so I've already been able to pull them up on my computer to email people, which... As a semi-Luddite, I was very proud of myself. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And there were a lot of younger people walking around there with pieces of paper taking notes. And they were like, wow. And I thought, yes, I'm that old person that I used to look up to now. <laughs> but yeah. I was like, man, I'm never going to be like bad with technology when I'm that old. 40. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that was like new and super exciting for me because it worked so wonderfully. Um, battery life on the tablets, you know, not like it used to be, so worked all day no big deal we worked spectacularly the gsa app talked back and forth it was great very seamless and i didn't have to carry around my massive laptop so awesome Mm-hmm. big big fan of that um but i just don't know how big a fan i was on the zoom so like i was saying there wasn't on the um program you didn't know whether it was a zoom presenter or an in-person presenter and I will say there was quite a bit of, I'd go to a session, I'd be really looking forward to this talk, and then they'd be like, okay, well, this presenter is not here, they're on Zoom. 
And in fully three quarters of the Zoom talks that I stuck around for, there was some sort of problem. And in, right. a, in a quarter of them, the talks didn't even get given because they couldn't really the tech. Yeah. Yeah. Because they couldn't overcome the technology. Yeah. It was That's really sad. Dunning. Mm hmm. I mean, we're in the Denver Convention Center, right? Like, this can't be the first time. Three years into COVID. Yeah, that this is going down, you know. And it was shocking. And I was very disappointed. You know, two of these I was very much looking forward to. And then there was one huge session on, um, like, geoheritage, which was really cool. But they had a couple of recorded talks from these pretty big names that I got really excited to go to. So I go there and they're in, you know, the huge ballrooms. And so there's definitely over a hundred people, if not more in there. And they're like, well, so-and-so, you know, couldn't make it. They're doing this. So here's their recorded talk. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. If that was the case, I'd have a talk, you know, an abstract at every conference on the face of the planet. Cause I would just Ex send the same recording in. Exactly. Exactly. And one of them, I was very disappointed. It was someone who I'd worked with before. I was very excited to see him. And it was like, oh, oh, well, this is, I mean, I stayed for that one because the technology, like they had it down. But you know how, so for people that don't go to conferences a lot, the, I was actually on the um, joint technical programming committee for this GSA, right. which was a big time peek behind the curtain <laughs> and it was traumatizing <laughs> like, <laughs> you saw how the sausage got made all the sausage like i was making the sausage it was terrifying like i noticed some things that i had like made mistakes on when i was like moving abstracts around and i had written gsa and said can you like undo this because i didn't have the capability it didn't get undone like this person was just in this session <laughs> like <laughs> And I was like, oh, I did that. Like, I'm the one that <laughs> did it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as weird as I thought it was going to be. But it was very interesting to see that. Because, like, what happens? You've never seen this before. Like, everyone puts in their abstracts, right? But also, way before the abstracts come in, they invite the community to set up sessions. Like, all this is set up by us, right? You know, it's what the scientists, right, yeah. you know, basically want to do. And so then say, I want to talk about, you know, the Canadian River. So I propose a session and I say, okay, everybody, we're, let's talk about the Canadian River. I specifically want to focus on the sedimentology of the Canadian River and like the hydrologic characteristics. Go. Right. So those get released to the scientific community and they say, here. You can just write a random abstract and say, this is a random abstract. Or you can write one and say, I want to present in Shannon's Canadian River session. Okay. So what we are given <laughs> is, I'm in the geophysics division of GSA, obviously, um, which is great because it's probably one of the smaller divisions. And so the division officers <laughs> are in this big Zoom and they say, okay, abstract shut down at midnight. At 12.01, it's time to start assigning abstracts to sessions. 
Okay. Yep. <laughs> like, what? And they're like, this is going to be the worst 36 hours of your life. It was. <laughs> <laughs> you always want to lead with that when you're dealing with volunteers. I know. I, exactly. It was so funny. It it worked amazing. Obviously, they've got tons of experience doing this, but this was my first time doing this, and it was just traumatizing. So, like, what we would see, we'd log in, and what we'd see on this little secret JPTC, JTPC page was you would see, okay, here is Shannon's Canadian River session. There are six oral abstracts that have been identified that want to go into the session and 12 posters. Okay. I have to have 10 oral talks. Well, that was redundant. (laughs) So 10 talks make a session. They won't run a session without that many. So now I have to like go fishing essentially (laughs) to get some Canadian river talks. So now I have to go into the say hydrology session and say, are there anyone in the pool? Any of the people that just said, I'm just submitting this abstract. I'm a hydrologist that matched my session. And then I'd go into like the sedimentology session and be like, is there anyone in here that matches my, my session that I could grab them? And then I just grab them and put them in my session. Surprise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've always submitted to a session. So I didn't know this even happened really. Like I thought that was just sort of your menu for the year. Like besides posters, like I thought you just did that, but, um, Yeah, so that's what we had to do. And we had to assign all of our unknown geophysics sessions or people who had like put in an abstract for just geophysics, but not attached to a session. So we had to find them sessions, which didn't necessarily mean they were geophysics sessions, find them a session somewhere that matched their abstract. Exactly, yeah. (sighs) It was, it was. Because flat out rejecting an abstract from a conference rarely have ever happens exactly like you don't want to do that um actually i found out there's a little no fly list though so oh really yes there is so that was very interesting because there are people that submit stuff that is malicious or erroneous or people who have been like charged with plagiarism before um who get put on a list and their abstracts get automatically booted that's mm. encouraging. It is. And then there was also a means to, if you were going through and reviewing abstracts and you suspected any of that, um, there was a means to kick it into a review board to figure out what to do with it. Interesting. Yeah. So I was very pleased with that. I just, I didn't assume that happened. So that was something that has been going on for a while, I think. So that was, that was really cool and stuff I didn't know about. So, yeah, it was <laughs> – so what happens to all those abstracts? So we wound up killing, I don't know, probably three geophysics sessions because they didn't have enough abstracts. And they wind up going into just a general geophysics session. Or if you can find them homes, you find them homes, which I was very proud of us. We found – we didn't even have a general geophysics session for talks because we found homes for all of our abstracts. I mean, there's no reason not to, but we worked hard to, like – look to say, oh, this science looks like it would go well with this audience and place them in there. Right. Yeah. So we did that. That was very fun, (laughs) but also really scary. I also got put in charge of um, er, uh, figuring out our student presenters and then getting judges and judging student 
presentations and posters. So that was the first. <laughs> and that's and, a very important part of the conference. Absolutely. because Getting I mean, students that experience and yes. getting them the encouragement they need from judges. Yes. And it's I mean, it's a, it is a big deal. And I don't even think the students necessarily know all the time that they're being judged. Um, so that's even more fun when the students are like, oh my gosh, like I won best paper. Like I didn't even know who I talked to that did that, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's really cool. And thank you to my <laughs> conscripted judges for your time. I very much appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so there was a lot of like behind the scenes stuff I did at this GSA that was very interesting. But with all the success of all of that, like it, <laughs> you know, people using these message boards and they're like, hey, I got an abstract for this. Anyone interested? You know, it felt like an auction or something. <laughs> with all that, the Denver Convention Center can't figure out how to make Zoom work. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that really is stunning. Uh, it really was. The fact that at least a quarter of the sessions I was in that had Zoom presentations, the actual presentation didn't even get presented was crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so my point with that whole scheduling thing, but also that's a look behind the scenes for those of you that don't know how this gets done, <laughs> was that these are planned like to the minute. Like, oh, oh, yeah. To the minute. And so you don't want to, in your session, if you're a session chair, you can't let anyone go long and you don't want to start stuff early because people are jumping in and out of different rooms. And so you have to stick to that session time. And so as you know, if you have a talk that doesn't get given and there's 10 more minutes, no one's sitting in that room. Like everyone's leaving, right? And oh, yeah. So then the talk following the failed Zoom talk has literally no one in the room because everyone's like, eh, I'm not going to sit around and wait for this. Yep. So that was like a very disappointing thing. Well, and how much did it clear out when like there were people in the room and they were like, okay, our next presenter is so-and-so and this is a Zoom presentation. Did it clear out yes. a decent amount? Okay. Yes. I, I left a couple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their audio quality, so people like getting really far away from the mic and then people getting really up close, you know, it was, it was terrible, <laughs> you know, and you can't sit for 15 minutes and listen to that, right? Because you're so focused on that. You don't see the science that's going on. Um, yeah, it was, and, and there were some successful ones, but I'd say there were more problems than not doing it and i i don't know the other interesting thing was that you could see for the people you know when you're switching back and forth between the conference presenter and the zoom presenter i never saw more than six people in any zoom room hmm. like like watching online i never saw more than six generally it was three or four including the presenter and at that point, it's like, did we Is just... it worth all that effort? Yeah. Like, I love Zoom meetings. I super appreciate... Well, I sort of appreciate not walking across campus quite as much. Sometimes it's nice to get out. But sometimes it's also like, hey, we just have a few things to say. Let's just jump on the Zoom, get it done. You know, like, we've been doing a lot of sort of pre-interviews for the amazing amount of faculty we've been hiring and we do those on Zoom, and I think that's great. It saves us money. 
it gives everybody like a chance to sort of have a both us and the candidate, you know, have some conversations before you get brought out here and that whole dynamic. So like, I think there's a place for it, but I'm not sure if I think there's a place for it at conferences. Yeah. It was just crushingly disappointed (laughs) for the couple of talks that I wanted to go to because I wanted to interact with the people that were giving them. You know, and then to get there and be like, oh, like maybe if I'd known in advance, but there were certainly some that are like, well, this next one's on Zoom and, you know, 10 people leave the room. Right. So. So, yeah, I don't. I'd be interested. I do know someone who attended via Zoom, so I'd be interested to see what they thought of it from that end. But I know that the conferences I've signed up to to attend via Zoom when I did GSA in 2020, like I... It's too distracting. Like, I'm at home. I got a lot of work to do. You know what I mean? Like, I'd jump on a talk, and then I'd wind up checking my email during it. Yep. As opposed okay. to... Every time I've seen Zoom attendance, that's what's happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, <clears throat> being there, you're fully engaged. This is what you're doing. You can't, literally can't do anything else. Yeah. And, it, no, accessibility is a whole different issue. Like, I think that we should have a much better system in place for like closed captions on talks. And I would, I think that that should be pushed. Right. And zoom sort of does that, but not very well. We could do that much better. And I think that's sort of a different issue than the, than the zoom conference part of it. Um, Right. So there's a lot of stuff that can be addressed in terms of accessibility right there at the convention center. So I don't know. I don't know. Just thought I would share that experience. I certainly saw a lot of really good um, talks. There was a lot of really cool PMAG, which GSA isn't always a paleomagnetist conference. Um, A lot of times people are really into rock magnetics, so they go to AGU and not GSA. So there's a lot of really cool PMAG. um, And I won't go over those because I think I'm probably going to try to invite some of those people onto the show. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the the hybrid model was questionable For in me. its success, yeah. but the the talks sounds like there was some good stuff. You said the vendor area was pretty good. Yeah. What else did you do or see while you were there that got you excited? Well, there was beer time, unlike GSA, so or unlike AGU, so right that was exciting. Right, Left Hand had brewed up a special beer for us. Um, that was a big deal. Yeah, there was a lot of, I guess I will mention a little bit. Um, so this GeoHeritage thing was really cool because there was a lot of sort of native science-themed stuff that was going on. And I thought that was very interesting that it had a very prominent place. You know, there's three huge ballrooms. So most of these rooms are small, right? They fit like 100 people or something like that. Yeah. And then some sessions are in these three huge ballrooms, which sit several hundred people. Um, and so I sat through a bunch of those, which was really great to see the acknowledgement in terms of there's a lot that we can learn from <laughs> all these stories that have been sitting here for hundreds of years that are actually like relaying scientific information. <laughs> it might have been like stories that we just thought, oh, that's a cute story. But actually, it's, it's a record 
of scientific information, especially, you know, like it, tons of stories catalog earthquakes or volcanic eruptions. And in North America, a lot of those stories are oral. So it's interesting that these are getting written down and getting put into the scientific database. Okay. So that's that was happening on a very large scale. And I thought that was one of the cooler things. Um, I don't know if the talks are available, like if everything got recorded and is available. I'd certainly like to see that because there were a lot of overlapping sessions I didn't see. Um, so that was a really neat thing. And a lot of the PMAG talks that I went to had to do with looking at the um, strength of Earth's magnetic field. So not something I do at all. Um, this is looking at, say, individual like plagioclase crystals in granite. And you can work back out through the magnetic inclusions in them, the paleo strength of Earth's magnetic field and how that changed over time. Hmm. Yeah. So there was a lot of work being done on the Ediacaran or the Ediacaran. I know you don't have a preference. <laughs> On that I do time not. <laughs> Depends on where you're from. Um, that's, I a, like to say. that's a thing. Is what, what kind of rockite formed? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, John. Um. <laughs> was there the melty rockite, or was there not much melty rockite? Uh, uh, semi-melty rockite. So, <laughs> okay. Edia Karen is very long ago, um, and as we know from talking about. Um, paleo mag on this you know we don't have a great handle on what the very ancient earth's magnetic field was doing um so this is like oh 600 and something million years ago okay way back there and there's a lot of work on when the i'm actually giving a talk about this tomorrow when earth's dynamo ramped up like, okay. when did we have, like, full differentiation of a solid core and an inner core? What did that mean for timing of starting Earth's magnetic field? Um, and all of that. So we talked a little bit about this on the show, but that's changing very rapidly. But what's even cooler, even though I don't know anything about this, is that they're starting to tie variations in Earth's magnetic field strength to essentially evolution, Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and so you're like, what? <laughs> so like bursts of diversity or yep. pauses mm -hmm. in diversity? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Both of those things, okay. depending on, on the strength. So early in Earth's history, the sun wasn't as luminous as it is now, right? But also the sun was more active and the solar wind was stronger. So our magnetosphere looked much different. And when the dynamo started up, the strength of the magnetosphere was smaller, but we had more solar wind. And so the solar radiation that was reaching Earth's surface was a much different picture than it is today, for sure. And it's not really something that we've talked about in terms of, like, the Cambrian explosion or anything, but the Ediacaran is right before that period, and so that's what a lot of the talks were on was the field strength at that time period and what that meant for, okay, did these ocean animals have to get shells to protect themselves from UV radiation? Huh. Yeah. 
which has always been taught as like animals got shells because the animal next to them bit them. <laughs> and right. so they had to protect themselves, right? Um, but this is like, well, maybe the environment in terms of the magnetic field strength wasn't such that it was conducive. And because there were some wibbles and wobbles in the very beginning of the dynamo, maybe that affected like radiation of species. Hmm. Yeah. And then you can and get even more weird into like where poles were, whether you had a dipole or not, and how that affected species too. Well, and like how radiation affected mutation rates and like yep. that. there's all kinds mm-hmm. of cool stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the coolest. I went down a very large talk hole and poster hole <laughs> of, of that. Um, so that was that was probably the the most sessions that I attended were sessions involving those sort of talks because there was a bunch of them and it was a very cool, um, very cool set of talks. So, Hmm. yeah, that was the most exciting science that, that I saw for sure. Oh, there's one more exciting science. (laughs) Ooh, what's the, what's the other one? (laughs) So as you know, what I do is very specialized. (laughs) It's you and, like, one other company that does stuff for paleomagnetists, right? Right. But ASC Scientific is a company that does stuff for paleomagnetists, too. They're the ones that make our ovens. They make the Pomeroy, which is the thing that you attach to the chainsaw that turns it into a core. But now, because um, lithium batteries are so high amperage now, they have a one-inch core that is water-cooled that runs off a handheld drill. Interesting. Yeah. He said it'll cut 10 basalt samples, so a whole site of basalt on one battery. Hmm. That was extremely intriguing. (laughs) I mean, I would like to field test, but that sounds very cool. So I saw some pictures on some of our candidates' websites that had, that were using this, and I thought, oh, did they make that? Like, where did this come from? And then I walked by the ASC booth, and I said, oh, this is amazing. Now, the most important question is what brand drill did they base it on? Oh, see, my husband was real excited about this. They used a Makita. Oh. Oh, he loves Makita. He was Oh, no, very it's got to be Milwaukee. Oh, the blue is so much prettier than the red. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was that was really interesting. So they've got these, you know, five amp batteries and they were like, I mean, he's like, you got to carry a couple to get a sight. But in PMAG, I mean, the chainsaw is terrible. The worst part is that it's loud. But it's really the water, and you st- yeah the water's the yeah big deal <laughs> exactly, and you still need the water. So I mean, if they can make some dehydrated water containers <laughs> to put on those, <laughs> that would be great. Oh, I'm sure I can sell you that and some oceanfront property. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you'd have to figure out how to get the right. Um, nozzle to turn on the dehydrated water to get it into the drill, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's got to be ergonomic for your fingers when you're turning the knob. Maybe just compressed water. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. If only there was some research out there to show us have what you, the best. Have you tried fizzy water? <laughs> I've tried oily water. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was told that was going to work, and it did not, but, you know. (laughs) Something about oil and water being immiscible comes to mind. Uh, You just got to shake it, and then drill real fast. (laughs) 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 But the knob, John, that's what we need to work on, some research about how to turn the knob. Yes, how you how you turn it on and off, and that brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> yeah. So this was an Ig Nobel. Man, there's some good ones this year, I'm going to say. The full paper is in Japanese, so we will link instead a couple of articles about the scientist who won the prize. <laughs> This is also the 16th consecutive year that a Japanese scientist has won an Ig Nobel. Uh, yeah, I thought that was great. Um, what was also the saddest sentence I've ever read. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Where this poor guy said his study was not intended to make people laugh. <laughs> he said he spent six serious years of research on this. And he said, as a researcher, I have mixed feelings about the prize. <laughs> poor guy. And I, I will say I see the value in this because have – you, have you read the book The Design of Everyday Things? Um, no, but I have participated in numerous reviews of the book and talks with the author. Not participated. I've listened to. So I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's a big mm-hmm. deal. It um, is a big deal. And the Ig Nobels <laughs> don't necessarily – I mean, it's stuff that's supposed to make you laugh and then make you think, right? So – Right. I hope he I hope he gets that. <laughs> but this is a huge deal. Yeah, so they made knobs of varying sizes to start with and said, well, how many fingers do you use to grip it? So they yeah. presented these knobs to people and they observed if they used two, three, four, or five fingers. And they found there are actually some pretty firm cutoffs from when we go to from two to three fingers to four in knob yeah. size. They can quantify this. And so I think about this a lot because we have a bathroom in our house that is in desperate need of being refinished. Like it just, it needs a facelift. Our house is old and it has those crystalline knobs that, you know, you probably grew up with those big honkies that you got to use all five fingers to turn. Now, are they the plastic ones though? Like they look crystalline, but they're giant Abs- plastic knobs absolutely. and you can't see through them. Absolutely. They're cracking. That is, they're cracking. There's like wallpaper in them. I don't know. I don't know. Like they're just awful. And for no reason whatsoever, we have not changed these in the 13 years we've lived here. <laughs> the reason is they haven't broke. That is exactly the reason. But they are starting to leak now. So now is the time. <laughs> now is the but, time. <laughs> <laughs> but like where you put those little ribs and how you grab it is the big thing that his research observes. And I don't know if you have this pulled up. So the one that's in the Japanese news site, that one three yes. from the left, I love those knobs so much. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. And that's what I bought to replace them. But they haven't broken yet, so they're still sitting in the garage in the box, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the, those I, little I, vintage looking knobs. I am very partial to those as well. Mm, great. Excellent. I knew we had similar design taste. Well, because you can have hands covered in soap yeah, and still turn that. Mm-hmm. Not true for those big honkies. Yep. Just going to slide right off. 
Yeah. Oh, See? yeah. This is important research. Did you know that the Ig Nobel winners receive this $10 trillion Zimbabwean note? I did not until I saw this picture of him holding it up. <laughs> did you click on the $10 trillion bill from Zimbabwe link that sends you to another article about how this is a real currency that's worth virtually nothing? Be- because it says $10 trillion on it, now it's becoming a collector's item. <laughs> and it's worth like 60 British pounds now. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. And I read like five more papers about Zimbabwean money. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I love this picture of this guy with all his knobs and his $10 trillion <laughs> Zimbabwean money yeah so i mean i i as you know we build equipment that people use to run experiments in their lab i think a lot about the knob or the button and where it's placed and think a lot about okay well if you're reaching for this button is your arm going to cover the light that you need to see to tell if the button had the desired effect or not Mm -hmm. and things like that a lot of stuff that people don't think about that yeah initially you say yeah but there's a, a whole, there's a whole little uh, booklet that NASA wrote, and I found it. I think I got it through interlibrary loan, and I copied the whole thing, and I've still got it. <laughs> he didn't do NASA, that. Copyright people. It, he didn't do that. He meant with his eyeballs. He copied. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yes, copied it into memory and then wrote it again in yep. a non-infringing way. <laughs> no, interlibrary loan probably gave me a PDF even. Yeah, that's um, true. So, anyway, I got this uh, paper, read it, and it's a study about how you position switches on a control panel. Oh, that's awesome. Because yeah. think about astronauts. They might be yeah. working with gloves. How close is too close, but you can't put things too far away because you've got very limited space. Mm-hmm. Um. How far away does a critical switch need to be from a non-critical switch so you don't accidentally flip the wrong one? Yep. How should system switches be grouped together or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is all super, yeah, super important. And your point, too, about, like, if you're putting a shower, I have to think about this, you know, building our camp, you're putting a shower in a public showering space, you know, people have different grip strengths, you know? Yeah. carpal tunnel issues like all that comes into play when trying to turn something on yeah well and what's yeah. the accessibility uh you know where how high are the knobs mounted mm-hmm. yep like you mount them too low well that's awkward mm-hmm. um you mount them too high you've got a bunch of people that can't turn the shower on <laughs> you're talking to me <laughs> yeah so even though jen matsuzaki's work was meant to be real i mean it is real <laughs> but i feel like it's probably gotten to a much wider audience now that he's won an ig nobel <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. i also didn't realize that nobel prize winners are actually like awarding the ig nobels which makes me even happier <laughs> right <laughs> and uh so jen if i would if there is a translated version of your paper i'd love to see it yes yeah, this is this is really cool, and you could I'd, actually use it. <laughs> yeah, the figures in it were relatively instructive anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, I did not try throwing it at Google Translate. Maybe that'll be the next step. Maybe. Yeah, this was a great find um, and very interesting. Yeah. So if you have information on what type of shower and sink knobs you prefer, go ahead and send those on in to us. Shannon, how can they do that? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And sometimes we hang out in the Slack chat room, the Don't Panic channel, the software underground. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us in stickers and microphones to send to our great interviewees. You can support us too, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.